Good morning. Now, I don't know if gals are like this, but I know guys are, and especially I am. I get settled into a way of thinking where I'm pretty sure I'm right, and it's hard to tell me differently. Guys, right? I mean, we, we figure it out. We kind of get it locked in, and we're, I know probably gals, you never have anything like that. In fact, there's a, you could see the difference between guys and gals in just the two events that are coming up. Guys, we got barbecue and drinks, right? And gals, you get storytelling and reflection. I mean, how many guys in the room said storytelling and reflection? I'm never going to that one. Anyway, so back to this. Sometimes I get pretty set into um, thinking a certain way. And this happened with Dana and I. We were, we were skiing together and we were trying to do some exploring and skiing on some Back when we had good knees, um, we were exploring and doing some things, and then we wanted to get back to the lodge, and I was certain, absolutely certain, I knew how to get there. It was a shortcut, and um, we just kind of cut across a couple of slopes, and then we could drop down. And I remember telling her several times, she said several times, this is not the right way, and I just kept telling her, trust me on this. I'm a guy, I know where I'm at, I never lost, right? So she knew that wasn't true. But anyway, we eventually were so lost and got stuck on a slope. Now, Dana remembers the slope we got stuck on that looks something about like this. And I remember it looking more like this. But either way, Either way, we were lost, and um, we were absolutely not, sh- and, well, we were lost because of me. I was certain. I had a, in my mind a way that things seemed to make sense, and you could not have convinced me otherwise until we got stuck on that one slope. And the truth is, is that as we live our lives, there are lots of times when the signs out there are a little bit confusing for us. And we've got to make sure that we take the time to kind of say, okay, is this a sign that I want to follow, or is this a sign that's going to lead me to some kind of a dead end? Is this the way that I want to turn? Is this the way that I want to head? And Jesus kind of comes up against um, a couple of guys here in this chapter that we're in, in Matthew chapter 12, where they're convinced they're right. They're convinced they're right. And he has a super strong word for them. It's actually a very heavy passage for us to tackle, Um, and so it's going to, we've got our work cut out for us as we kind of look our way to do that. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump into Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together in this way, and we We have proclaimed out loud, hallelujah to you. We worship you. We praise you. And now, God, we ask you that you would give us insight into um, Christ as we see him interact with these Pharisees. Would you give, make application, bridge the, the divide between us and him so that we could see how we might live with more assurance of his work and more obedience to his way. And we ask that you would help us with that. And then God, we're aware as a church that there are other churches all around us and one particular church, Connect Church, begins their services today, a brand new church. 
with their pastor, Jim Chang. And I ask that you would give Jim great uh, freedom and joy as he ministers and power in his words as they exalt Christ. I pray for the start of this church that it would be the first of thousands and thousands of weekends that they gather in your name for the good of our city. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just a reminder, we're in the conflict section. Things have been going uh, in Matthew. Really, there's a lot of conflict. He, Jesus gave us some teachings in five, six, and chapters 5, 6, and 7. In 8, he did some miracles to authenticate what was going on, 8, 8 and 9. And then the conflict starts, especially in chapter 11. Jesus says, woe to you, these cities that is, that is in the area of Galilee, if if the, if." These things that you have just basically rejected, woe to you. You are moving against God. Well, the Pharisees show up. They're pretty ticked off about some of that. We saw some of it last week in chapter 12, the first half. We're going to see even more of it now um, when, we, when we work our way through. And the passage, the passage has three movements, kind of one about kingdoms and power, one about that's a difficult for us to make sure we understand correctly, an unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin, and then one about good and evil and a way to kind of a challenge to evaluate our own lives this way. So Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. Now, um, demon-possessed shows up all over Matthew. It's 19 times um, in the book of Matthew, and they're all before chapter 17. By 17, we have one more instance of it, and then we don't see any else. The, the shift focuses more towards the crucifixion and Jesus moving towards Jerusalem. This whole idea of being blind and mute, this is the only time it happens in the New Testament right here. Blind shows up 93 times and mute 13 times, but blind and mute, the combination, this is a very unique thing. And it says that Jesus healed, healed him so that he could both talk and see. A little redundant, but we get it. All the people were astonished. Extisame is the word, and it's kind of a fun word in that it sounds exciting, and that's really what it means. It means, it means to be astonished, to be exciting, to be amazed. It literally means, it's actually a compound word that means to be out and stand. And it became uh, the kind of word which you would, where you would say they were out of their mind. It became kind of a... A, a saying in the Greek that if they were trying to talk about this. We see this in Mark chapter 3 when Jesus' family comes to Jesus and tries to take over and take control because so, they were worried about him. And the family says in Mark chapter 3, we think Jesus might be out of his mind. It's the same word there. But here it says that Jesus healed him and all the people were astonished. They're just like out of their mind. They can't believe it. And they said, could this be the son of David, it's a royal term for the Messiah. Now the Pharisees are back involved. Um, then the Pharisees, um, a major uh, opponent in the book of Matthew, heard this. They said, it is only by Beelzebul, uh, um, a name for Satan, another name for Satan, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And then he said to them, he basically makes three arguments about, against them accusing him of driving out demons in the name of a demon. He says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. 
And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Argument number one, if you're doing something that's tearing down a kingdom in the name of the kingdom, the kingdom will not stand. Argument number two, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. In other words, he says, I'm doing this. Your folks are doing this. If I'm doing the same thing, it's, hip it's hypocritical to accuse me of one thing and them not doing something as well. So that's the second argument. And then the third argument. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. What is he saying there? He's saying someone greater, he said this last week's message, someone greater than Satan is here. I can subdue the strong man. I can tie the dude up. I'm stronger than him. I am greater than him. And this goes along with John chapter 4, where greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's no need for Christians to fear the spiritual or demonic world um, because of power. There's reasons to fear it because of influence, but not because of power. Power, that thing is settled, and it's settled with Jesus being in control. Verse 30, then, he wraps it up by saying this. Whoever's not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. He's, what he does is he's, you guys have said your position. I have defended my position now for several several times, and here's the reality. There's a dividing line in mankind, and that line is drawn by Jesus. And if you're not with him, you're against him. There's no neutrality here. In, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus says much the same thing. Jesus, we saw someone, that John the apostle says, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. And Jesus said to John, do not stop him, for the one who does a miracle in my name cannot in the next moment say anything about me. For whoever is not against me is for me. So this first part about power, he says, is what, the thing you accuse me of, it doesn't make any sense. And it's, a, it's hypocritical to say these kinds of things. And the, I am more powerful than this. And he just basically shuts down this opposition. But then he gets very specific with what is called the unpardonable or the unforgivable sin. Let's look at it together. Verse 31, and so I tell you, there's, there's that phrase, I gotta tell y'all about this every time. So I tell you, or but I say, it's, it's the same phrase in the Greek that's, that's translated a couple of different words um, in English, but it's 59 times. And it's like he's saying, so I tell you, it's like saying, listen, please. Or if he had the opportunity, he would say, bold font, please. Double underline, please. Listen to what I'm going to say. And it's all over the book of Matthew. You have heard it said, but I say. And he is redefining what it means to be a follower of God. Here it is. 
every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, a couple of things. First of all, we're so worried about the second half of this verse that some of you in the room never just missed the first part. Think about this. Every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. doesn't say that it is forgiven. It says it can be. It can be. And we forget about this. Imagine this. Every kind of sin and slander, anything that you can imagine doing, the very worst day you've ever had, the, what, the worse than that, like the day that you would never share, the day that you're, is a, like you, you're ashamed of it, it can be forgiven. It can be forgiven. And I'll talk about how can we know it's forgiven in just a minute. But then it says, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Any, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will not be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, even it, either in this age or the age to come. Now, the term son of man is, is another one of a royalty. It comes out of the book of Daniel where, the, where you have this divine figure in the clouds and he's leading hosts in the heaven. It's, a, it's a one of royalty and lordship. It's clearly Christ um, as we look at what we know now from this time. And you look at this and you go, what does this mean? Now, some of you in the room are like me. And your conscience is uh, thick. Let's use that word. Um, it takes a little bit for you to feel guilty. I mean, you're here like, yeah, every sin, probably for somebody else. You're not really moved by this. And so for you, just relax. I'll get to you in a minute. But some of y'all are like my wife, Dana. And like, as soon as you hear something that can't be forgiven, you're about convinced you've done it. You're just sitting there now going, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm sure I did that. I don't remember doing it, but I'm sure I did it. Let me give you a couple of things here to think about. First, a couple of quotes from some commentators on this passage. This is from Leon Morris. He says, it is not that God refuses to forgive it is that the person who sees good as evil and evil as good is quite unable to repent and thus to come humbly to God for forgiveness. There is no way to forgiveness other than that the path by the path of repentance and faith. And what the, the sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is basically a rejection of faith and repentance. The sin is unbelief. Is there anything that can't be forgiven? One thing, unbelief. Let me give you another commentator. This is Rodney Reeves. However, if a person is so blind that they think the Spirit's power is the devil's power, then how will they ever be convinced otherwise when it's the Spirit who convicts people of their sinful deceit? If they can't recognize the Spirit of God, the only power that is true, how will they ever be convinced that they're wrong? Indeed, whenever the Holy Spirit moves to convict them of, um, of perpetual motion of their sin, of self-defeat, it will last forever. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is unforgi unforgivable. 
I mean, if you think about this, anything you do that you confess can be forgiven. It can be forgiven. It doesn't say it, w- it is or it will be. It says it can be. How is it? How is it forgiven? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, if we admit our wrong, then there is forgiveness. If you think, but if you have an attitude of, I don't need that, I don't want that, I reject that, God will honor that choice of rejection. Here's what he will not do. He will not, he will not look down and have someone say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, I reject the whole thing, I don't want it. And he's not going to say, well, I forgive you anyway. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want to spend eternity with him. I don't want you. No, thank you. No. And by the way, wait is no. Just so we're clear, if you're here and say, well, who, what fool would say no to God? Anyone who says not now. You with me? So there may be some in the room who says, I wouldn't say no, but I'm, I still want to do a lot of stuff on my own, and then I'll get to him later on. Well, that's a no for now. One more thing I want to show you. Matthew and Mark tell the story similar in terms of the unrepentant sin, but Luke puts it in a different context. Here's Luke chapter 12. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So it's put with this acknowledging, this acceptance of who Christ is or rejection of who he is. What's the sin that cannot be forgiven? The sin of unrepentance, of unbelief. Here's a quote from Tim Keller. Died just about a month ago. Great influence. We're going to miss him for sure. Here's what he says. I love this. Here's your word of assurance. If you're here and you're wondering, oh, I don't know if I'm that or not. Here's your word of assurance. If you're afraid you've committed the unpardonable sin, you haven't. Because the worry, even the worry that I might be missing God, I want him, I don't want to miss him. You're not capable of that kind of worry. Only the Spirit can produce it. So celebrate your anxiety today. (laughs) Let it go. If you're thinking... Well, I'm not sure. Be sure. Those who are rejecting at this moment know they're rejecting. You have said no. It's okay. Everyone in the room said no at some point. It's all right. We're glad you're here. But it's important, Jesus thinks, that you know where you are. There's no, you know, I'm going to put that off and hope God grades on the curve. Now, who has the most problem with this are religious people. Congratulations. It's you. Religious people think we bring something to the table. We're good. We think we're good. You think showing up here today made you good. Apart from Christ, you ain't good. Don't get mad at me. That's what the scriptures say. Salvation is found in no one else, and there's no other name under heaven, Acts 4, given to mankind by which we must be saved. But the good news is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
bless you. If you want to make sure that you're not guilty of this, just call on the name of the Lord. Just say yes to him. John chapter 10 said, he says, I am the gate and whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever, where, there's no matter what you've done. I mean, the truth is, is that this passage causes a lot of angst for people, but in reality, it ought to cause a lot of comfort. No matter where you've been, you can be forgiven. He says, they, they who enter who me will be saved. They come in and they go out and they find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, a kill, and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, the third, the third movement, then, he begins to speak to those religious people who are saying, well, who's in and who's out? What's, what, how's this work? Well, he's already said, all you gotta do is acknowledge him, but just to be sure you get it, verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Then he speaks to these Pharisees. He says, you brood of vipers. Um, three times in the book of Matthew, Jesus uses these this phrase against the Pharisees. Brood is offspring. So what he's, what he's doing is he basically calls them baby snakes. Brood of vipers. And they're arguing about who's in and who's not and whether the demons and all of these kinds of things. He's saying, you're offspring of, de- of the demon. Very strong words, very harsh words. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, there's our phrase, but I say, everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. The word for empty there means insincere, false, words that would destroy for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. He's basically saying to these guys, the very words you speak declare your allegiance to the darkness. Your refusal to say yes to the free offer of forgiveness of God through Christ, it shows that you are a bad tree. You cannot produce anything good. Now, when you have this kind of a message where he's got, he's basically saying, listen, let me take away any ambiguity here because you're in one side or the other. One side or the other. And, And again, it's okay. Whatever side you're on is okay as long as you acknowledge which side you're on and you recognize it. The worst thing could happen is you get through this passage and you realize, I I don't know. I'm in, I'm out, I don't know. You don't have to have that kind of confusion. I actually believe you know. You know where you are. And I thought it would be appropriate 
And we've programmed such where we're going to have uh, communion at this time. And communion is a time of thanksgiving. It's the table of thanksgiving, uh, but it's also a time of introspection. It's a time for you to be able to examine your life and ask, is there anything that is in my life that it remains unconfessed? And if you, if you don't know of the sin, you're not held, held accountable for it. But once you know of the sin, the commandments of the New Testament ask us to confess those sins. And so I thought a, a good way to do this is, and this is where the hard work is for you, and you will get out of this whatever you put into it. So I want to take us through a time just of examination, of the discipline of examine. And I'm going to use J. Kim's book, Analog Christian, for it. He, in that book, if you haven't read it, it's an excellent book. I'm not just saying that because he's my boss. Um, it's an excellent book, and uh, he takes the fruit of the Spirit and has a chapter on each. And I want to walk through the fruit of the Spirit, the nine things, and he contrasts them with things that might be different than the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll, I'll just walk you through these. And we're just going to bow our head, close our eyes if you want to, and just respect those people around you. And just let me walk you through each of the fruit of the Spirit and ask yourself, is there anything in my life that I need to make sure that I'm on the right side of the ledger. Now understand, faith in Christ is a once and forever deal. Once the forgiveness is offered, you don't have to re-trust him over and over again. We were actually warned about this in, in the book of Hebrews, that you can't re-crucify Christ anymore. Once you've come to faith, he's crucified for you. The forgiveness is poured over your past sins, present and future sins. But in order for communion to really be sweet and, and uninterrupted, the, the process of confession goes on. We begin with confession, and we live with Christ practicing confession. So let me ask you, just take a moment. As I work my way through these, each of these traits, ask yourself, is there something in my life that I need to confess? Now, I'm going to move on, but you stop. You stop. Anything that comes up, that you feel like has been, has been brought to you, you can trust that that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has now put his finger on that. And specifically, not generally, you're a, you've been a crummy person this week. That ain't the Spirit of God. That's some kind of a problem you've got in your own self-image, or it's the devil himself trying to just vaguely accuse you. Christ in my life, when he comes in, he says, you know what, right here, this thing right here, you were mean to them. You spoke falsely. So as I work my way through, you listen. If something comes up, confess it. If I get to the end and you're like, nothing came up, full credit. Full credit. Okay, then don't try to manufacture something. You don't, don't sit there and go, well, I'm going to make something up. He said, I need something. No, full credit. Because what happens at the end of this time of introspection is we go to them, we take the elements of communion with an absolute celebration that we are completely free of all of the penalty of sin. And we do that on, as a remembrance, often making sure that we sing and remind ourselves of the work of Christ. Okay, now let's begin. Love instead of self-centric despair. 
There's healthy introspection and self-awareness that invites us to look inward. But there's also an inability to see life as anything more than comparative background to the, our own thoughts, our own self-centeredness. Joy instead of comparison. Joy is a, a, not a passing sensation of pleasure, but a pervasive sense of well-being that's infused with hope. Peace instead of contempt. We live in a, a culture of contempt that used to be reserved for enemies, and now it's applied to our fellow citizens. Patience instead of impatience. Our God is a God of slow. We live in a world of Instagram, microwaves, shortcuts. Kindness and goodness instead of hostility. The Lord. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Faithfulness instead of forgetfulness. Watch yourselves closely, Deuteronomy says, so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart. Gentleness instead of outrage. Christ was crucified along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He declared just a chapter back, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Self-control instead of reckless indulgence. Self-control is the ability to do the important thing rather than the urgent thing. We practice self-control by asking the Spirit of God to undo the addiction of urgency. Every sin 
every sin that has come to your mind and those that even did not come will be forgiven when we confess and repent. Do not resist. Do not turn away. I was reminded of the saying in James that says, wash you your hands, you sinners. Purify your minds, you double-minded. The idea that things that we've done with our hands and things that we've thought with our minds. Lay them before the throne of grace. take out our elements and we get ready and we realize that these elements are representations of the great gift that has been given for us. That the sin that has been brought to our mind is completely forgiven, not based on our merit or work, but on the merit of Christ and his work at Calvary's cross. The New Testament teaches us that Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner or thoughtless manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Christ everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup and we have done that So it is now that we've taken the bread and now drink the cup with the complete assurance of the promises of God that you are seen as clean and completely forgiven. Let's take the cup together. Father, it's uncomfortable for us to declare that you're in or you're out. We'd like wiggle room. But you have thrown the way open so wide for us that in our simple belief, in our imperfect faith, we find complete forgiveness. We find that we are aligned to be for you and not against you. Not perfectly, not even what we should be half the time maybe. 
So thank you for your patience, your grace. Forgiveness is extended because we really need it. So we thank you for that. And we thank you for the table of communion. The reminder of the work of Christ on our behalf. That though our sins were as scarlet, you cleansed us and made us white as snow. We praise you and thank you for that forgiveness. We give you glory and honor in the name and in the name only of Jesus. We praise you.